Hey everyone, welcome back to another banging episode of the Reserve Tank presented by Progressive. Today we're sitting down with Alex Cachon of Modern Motorcycle Diaries. He's one of the most followed adventure travel motorcyclists on social media, and he's here to talk about what inspired him to get into adventure motorcycling, hopefully inspire you to get into adventure motorcycling, a lot of the unexpected challenges adventure motorcycling can bring, and what makes it all worth it at the end of the day. At the end of our episode, we're also going to do another round of rapid fire this or that game show, uh, asking Alex the questions you, our listeners, really want to know and the questions we think are going to stump him. What's up, Alex? How are you doing today? Hey, Sam. Thanks for having me on the program. Awesome, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you here. Pleasure to speak and actually see you. I can see you through our video podcast, but all the listeners can only hear us. Um, let's talk a little bit just like what inspired you to get on a motorcycle at 17 years old and start like traveling the world. Yeah. So, um, yeah, some people may already kind of know who I am a little bit just cause I've been around the socials for a bit. Um, you said you can find me as Chacon or Chacon. I can't remember how you said my last name, but if you might know me better by Chacon. Uh, but basically when I was 17, I, uh, I was headed, you know, I was going to go to medical school and, um, I did the college thing. I went on, you know, I did do some medical school and then I decided to sell everything I had. Uh, and travel the world. Uh, at 17, though, before I did all of that, was just um, I always wanted to explore the world. I always saw a globe, and I wanted to kind of see what there was here and there. And I would spin a globe around sometimes at, in class, and I would just close my eyes and and put my thumb on wherever it landed. And the first place it landed was Machu Picchu, and I said, "What day I'm going to get there?" So at 17, I I did this road trip around the U.S. and uh, I went to all 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 the states, and I drove probably 100 and uh, 15,000 miles in about 32 days. Uh, just driving, driving, sleeping in Walmart parking lots, eating canned beans, just being really frivolous with my money. And uh, yeah, then I went on to college and I really loved that experience. And I said, how do I make this bigger and better? So at 23, after graduating, uh, I was going to medical school. I sold everything I had. I didn't know if I was going to come back. And I managed to get from Alaska to Argentina and back in 500 days. And that's just kind of like what started the whole thing. And now I, that passion and that hobby, um, that trip that I did at 23, I'm 33 now, um, ended up becoming a career and what, why you're talking to me today. I'm curious when you said at 17, you sold everything you had, <laughs> what yeah. could you possibly have had at 17? That includes a television clothes and that's about it. And some video game, some video gaming systems. How, so how did, how else did you kind of fund it? Did you work some like odd hours? Did parents, did your, what did your parents think? Like that's, I, my mom hates it that I'm on a motorcycle. She even hates that I work in this industry and I do things. I send her photos of me on the track and she's like, why do you keep doing these things? So like, were there, was there any other support from family or what was their thoughts? Yeah. So, uh, no, I mean, I, uh, I've always been an entrepreneur. So I, I at 17, I had my own dog walking business and my own lawn mowing business. And that's how I got some of the money. And the other thing was literally for 30, for 30 odd days, I spent only less than $500 uh, in three and 30, 32 days because I was camping at Walmart for free. I was eating canned beans the entire time and it was the only way that trip was going to happen. So I did it on my own accord, but it took, a, it took a bit of a sacrifice to make it happen. That's, that's pretty rad. I like, yeah, you can just fuel and the most basic food possible and yeah. free camping and lounging. So that's it. Cause you're riding most of the day, I would assume. Yeah, it was like 14 hour riding days because I was just a man on a mission to try to see and do as much as I could. Did your parents have any like thought about it? Well, they they did. Uh, they didn't like it, uh, but I told them, "Sorry, it's something I got to do, and I can't help it." It's uh, there's this 
fire and spirit in me that just is um, is telling me I need to do it. And I just said, I'll, you know me, I'll be as safe as possible. I'm a responsible uh, adult almost at that age. And I said, uh, you got, you know, my history with, you know, being your son is like, you know, I take care of myself and I do the proper things and I don't go crazy in anything. And I always take care of myself. So they had some confidence, but they were <laughs> obviously very concerned about me just taking off. So, I mean, very, very parental in, uh, in nature. It yeah, seems. they did. They did what they had to do. Yeah, that's good. What do they think? Do they are they? I mean, are they still around now, or how do they feel now? Or yeah, they're still around. And well, what when I I did that trip, then I went to college, and then then I started the medical school, and then I I quit the medical school again. I sold everything I had uh, to travel around again. Had a bit more money than five hundred dollars that time. Um, but when I did that trip, they were very much opposed to it because I had originally planned the drive from Texas, where I am from, uh, all the way down to Peru. And the, I thought, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go take a sabbatical for a month or two, then get back to medical school and finish my career, have, have, the, have the job, have the house, have the girlfriend, have the wife, have the kids. And that was kind of like how my life was structured. Uh, and that's what I was told I was supposed to do. And that's just kind of like everybody around me is a lawyer or an engineer or a doctor. So that's just kind of like what I was indoctrinated into thinking and believing. So when I said, I'm going to go do this trip for three months, uh, when I was on the trip, I realized that, wow, I... I I don't want to be doing what I was doing for, you know, eight years studying at school and, you know, another seven years before I start making money as a doctor. And that's, yeah, it just, it didn't, it didn't feel right. So I just continued the trip going by, I had a blog and I would write the blog, my adventures for the month or two. And people would start donating money to me on the blog saying, Hey, keep going. We know you only have this much time. And I said, wow, amazing. And then I would people would buy me lunch again. I was camping everywhere. I was just being really cheap about the whole thing. And yeah, that trip ended up becoming over 500, almost 500 days uh, an Alaska to Argentina trip and back road trip. That's awesome. So, I mean, well, first off, man, like a lot of a lot of props for following your heart and making it work. You know, like nobody wants to be stuck doing something they don't want to do. And um, if there's a way and a means to do it, then you're doing it which is super awesome. Yeah, my best friend always told me, he says, you know, life is all about sacrifices. And um, it's just, you can make anything happen, but it's just a matter of what you're willing to sacrifice to get what you want. It's true. I work in the motorcycle industry. I understand that completely. <laughs> <laughs> I could have been a doctor or a lawyer. Um, but I have so much fun, just like you do. Get to travel, get to ride bikes, get to meet amazing people. And I feel like that's an awesome trade-off. It's not so much about how much money you're making worth is, you know, I, I feel like my soul is filled uh, doing what I'm doing, uh, being in this world and being within this community. Let's talk a little bit about your travels. Um, what are some of the unexpected challenges you've faced in your travels that you wish you may have been more prepared for, uh, or things that like our listeners would never expect or fully understand because maybe they haven't experienced it? Sure. Yeah. So the best thing about what I do now is my blog eventually became a video blog or now a vlogging. So you can find me on YouTube. Uh, if you just search my name or if you search my most epic video called the three year epic selfie video, you can actually see these experiences that have been very uh, kind of weird. Some things I don't expect happening because I'm vlogging every single day. So you see my my daily grind on these trips of what it takes. Sometimes I show the beautiful just cinematic shots and like this two minute like hardcore video. That's very nice. But I also show the underneath 15 minute vlogs where it's like, oh, I have a flat tire and I haven't been able to change it for about three hours. And I just I can't do this. And it's super hot. I'm in the middle of the road. Um, so what people don't expect, you know, it all sounds pretty. And when you see my YouTube channel and you see some really beautifully, visually stunning videos and 
I had this drone video that um, just won 2019's and 2020's drone video of the year. And it's a, it's a trip I did recently about two and a half years ago across Bolivia. And um, it won all these awards and it was absolutely amazing. And the thing with that video is that it looks so nice, but the underneath the vlogs that you watch from that video is like, I was stuck in mud for about two days because I went during the semi-wet season to Bolivia. And if anybody's been to Bolivia in the wet season, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So the hardest part is the struggle of what I want to do on that trip. So um, I never expected to, the hardest part of this journey would be, of, of all my journeys really, is the mental anguish and the the challenges that you face uh, keeping yourself sane. Because I could have just given up that first hour in the mud, but I spent two days dragging the bike through this mud pit with all my camera gear and overloaded bike, but you know, it was the only bike I could get access to. It was a cheap bike, um, but it was it was just the most difficulty, difficult mental anguish and challenge um, I had faced at that time. So, you know, you, you get the pretty stuff, which is like, oh, he must be living the life and travels all these things. But the hardest part is keeping myself sane and being, is this really worth it? Is this going to get the views that I need to get off YouTube to, you know, to pay the monthly bills or um, it's just the, the physicality and the mentality of, of pushing yourself through these uncomfortable and difficult situations. And that's what most people just say, oh, I want to do that too, or it must be a lot of fun. But the fact is that it's 80% work and then 20% uh, nice, fun, adventurous vacation stuff that you usually see. Yeah, I would say the same thing to anybody listening. If you're looking to get into adventure riding or any kind of dirt bike riding, it's incredibly physical. You have to very much prepare yourself. For that, do you do anything off of the motorcycle um, outside of riding to like stay in shape and be like physically solid? Yeah, this is one of the big points of what I do is uh, it's um, it's mental health number one, then it's physical health, and then everything else. So uh, I actually, um, when I was traveling for the first time, I remember this one situation in I was in a hostel in Panama, and most people go to hostels and they travel and you meet travelers from all over the world, and they're there on vacation for the week or two that they have, or even just a few days. So me, I said, well, I'm living and breathing here. I can't be like, you know, I don't I don't really party. Uh, back then, I didn't drink at all because I was trying to save money for things. So I would actually be doing exercise on the motorcycle, around the motorcycle, in the hostel, hanging myself off the roof, the doors of the room. And people would be looking at me like, what is this, this insane man doing? Like workout stuff in the middle of a hostel? And the thing is that you have to push past the idea that, you know, the majority of people are there to have fun and party and, and, and lose it. But those of us who are just like trying to live and survive and be healthy, I have to work out in the weirdest places in the most awkward, uncomfortable situations and just say, screw it. My, I have to do it. Otherwise I'll never do it. So that's how it started. And nowadays, um, for like the last five years, I, I use what I can on the motor. I use the boxes as weights. I basically, I work out as often as I can. Um, because when you sit on the motorcycle long distance, 300 days out of the year, which is what I do, um, your body takes an impact. So I visit local gyms all over the world. I actually have a really great video I just released uh, this week on my YouTube channel. And it's um, uh, things, uh, the, the local gym experience in India. And I was in India last year. And uh, this is a brand new video I haven't published yet. But you see all the crazy, ridiculous things that it is to visit a gym in a different part of the world. And that's, you know, <laughs> the, the, just the way they work. There's people walking around shoeless without shoes in the Indian gyms because they don't like, people don't bring additional shoes. So you can go shoeless in the gym in India. It's very normal. And you start going like, oh, this is so cool and so weird. So, yeah, I work out as much as I can. And I try to visit local gyms just for the stories and the experience of, you know, walk, watching people work out shoeless.
would you be are you uh what about outside of like curling your luggage and whatnot have you uh done any like yoga and stretching have you found that that helps you I stretch every morning and every evening once I arrive. Uh, my schedule is usually like I wake up at 7, I'm on the road by 8, uh, I drive and I film all day long, I get to wherever I need to get to around 6 or 7, I eat, I relax uh, for about 5 minutes, and then I start charging batteries, and then I start dumping all the cars into the laptop, and then I start editing. And somewhere in between there, I have to, is, you know, the card takes maybe five minutes to download. I got four minutes to do exercise. Then I start editing. Then I take a quick break after an hour. So it kind of depends. And then some days I take my, I take a day off and I go to a local gym. Um, so yeah, I just try to do it where you can, even on the middle of the road. I remember I, I go on the highway sometimes and I'm like, oh, I'm eating food and I'm just trying to like relax. And I said, oh, I might as well work out since I'm here. So I find a tree or something and I start hanging off of it and doing pull-ups and stuff and of course, everybody looks at you so weird, but I said, you know, I'm so busy throughout the day. I may not have time to work out today when I get home or to the hostel. And I just have to do it wherever I can, whether it's carrying heavy boxes and gear off the, off the bike and, and dragging the bike through the mud, which is a workout in itself, or whether I hang off a tree on the side of the road in Morocco doing exercise, you know, you just have to do it. That's a fact. Uh, of all your travels around the world, um, let's take the last five years. But within the last five years, or maybe just which one sticks out, which moment always kind of comes to the forefront of your mind in terms of uh, like, what was the most awesome experience and was it worth it? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question because most people always ask you, what was your favorite country? What was your favorite place? And um, it's the same question in a way, uh, but it's also very well asked. It's difficult to say because each one taught me something. Each one had its challenges, but I'll give you a quick... I'll give you a quick top three. Uh, one of them was um, <clears throat> driving across Bolivia uh, during the wet season, for sure, that I just had talked about. Uh, luckily, I had a drone, so I filmed some really epic drone stuff that you, you'll never see. I, I still haven't seen online uh, for any adventure rider, motorcycle rider, traveler. Um, super cool stuff. So I love that one because I was able to capture you know, the world's largest salt flat in the wet season on the motorcycle alone, flying it by myself and driving at the same time. So that was kind of cool, and that's why I was so grateful uh, to win those, all, all those awards uh, this last year because it took so much effort to make it happen. Uh, other experiences were just sitting in Alaska and looking at the northern lights uh, for the first time in my life. That was an amazing experience because I had camped out for about 11 days to finally see the lights. It took 11 days to find the lights because they're constantly shifting. Um, so on my birthday of all days, I got this beautiful light show that I had wanted to see uh, my entire life. And then another situation is basically like I was in Egypt a year ago and um, I basically got arrested for being a tourist, uh, having a beard and trying to take pictures of the pyramid. And that's a long story in itself. I actually have those videos coming out this week on my YouTube channel. Um, but it's a really ridiculous story where I was profiled. Uh, they just basically tried taking my camera gear just and I was with a hundred and a thousand other tourists doing exactly the same thing. But because of the way I looked. Um, I experienced a lot of um, profiling, uh, perhaps racism, and it was an incredibly difficult, uh, very frustrating and very sad situation, which um, you'll see all about it on my YouTube channel if anybody wants to check that out. That's that's a bummer, man. Um, and it's, it kind of just shows that it doesn't, you know, we talk about like racism and prejudice in, in America, and it's not it's not just something we deal with. It's something that happens all over the world. Yeah, it's funny because I you expect that to you know happen 
here in the United States, but you know, it happens all over the world. And it's even worse in other parts of the world. Let's go to some of our listener questions. So we, we threw up a thing on Instagram uh, the other day uh, just to be like, ask Alex anything. We picked our top three. Uh, and I think this is, this is a really good one because adventure motorcycling is kind of, it's been around for a while. I think uh, the, the recent launch of the Harley Davidson Pan America has got a lot more people talking about it uh, and hopefully getting a part of the American community more interested in it. Uh, you and I are, you know, we laugh a little because, that's, you know, we've been doing it for a handful of years. Um, but, hey, the more the merrier. Uh, and I think that maybe hopefully we'll see more people get into the adventure space. I would personally love to see that happen more and more. Uh, we have a question from at her dot two wheels. Uh, what's the best tip for beginners going from road to dirt riding? Yeah. So let's see here in total i've driven about three hundred and fifty thousand miles around the world to over 70 countries now and i can tell you about 70 percent of the time i'm on 60 70 percent i'm on good asphalt uh the other 20 percent on gravel and the other 10 percent probably sand uh and i think the go-to tip on this one is uh go slow if you just want a direct answer just like i usually carry about 100 to 200 pounds of gear at all, at all times. And 50 pounds of that is my camera gear, stupidly, but that's what it needs to be for me to do this full-time as a full-time career and job. Um, so I am always overloaded uh, far beyond the bike's capabilities. This happens on every single trip, but that is a sacrifice of being able to film it. You know, I wish I could just go out there and do it, my, do it with my phone, but it doesn't work that way. So yeah, I've always noticed that no matter where I go, no matter if I'm taking uh, I've taken a scooter, a Honda C90 scooter across the Sahara in Egypt. I've taken uh, a Bajaj Pulsar 200 across uh, Nepal in, in some off-road villages you've never even heard of. And I've taken a Royal Enfield all across India for about three months. So every time I, I do these things, I always learn, go slow. Anywhere you go, as, as long as you go slow, even if you're overloaded, um, you can handle the bike, you can, you can be safe. And um, no matter what conditions I've been exposed to, uh, taking these street bikes off-roading, which I do all the time, is dangerous in, in itself. Um, even if they're overloaded, I just realize go slow, tippy-toe it, don't let anybody pressure you, and uh, take your time on learning the the dirt roads and just being don't overdo it and don't over um, estimate what your abilities are and just start really really slow and you eventually work up to uh, intermediate level and then eventually hopefully professional level or expert level. You're running the off of that because you're talking about overloaded bikes. I remember looking at seeing a photo of of you and Jamie Robinson, where like your bike is fully packed up because you're you were traveling around the U.S. and then Jamie has a T7 that's been like super stripped down. <laughs> and um, <laughs> well, the, well, I was gonna ask the the question I was gonna ask is, um, oh, have you done anything to the T7 suspension? Uh, yeah. So the funny thing with Jamie was I he literally. It has a he took even the plastic paneling off his T7. He, there's literally nothing on that bike, and and he and I came in. I was doing a road trip across the U.S. from Texas to Seattle, back down the to L.A., and then back to Texas for about two months, uh, just uh, four months ago. And um, uh, we did a video together. And yeah, I, I drove my bike most of the time, but then I we said, hey, let's switch bikes. And then we switched bikes and I'm going like, oh my gosh, I could like lift this with one arm. It's ridiculous. And he was driving my bike. He says, oh my God, this is the most dangerous, ridiculous bike I've ever felt. It's so heavy. It's, I hate the proportions. It feels so horrible. And I said, well, yeah, that's what it takes to carry 200 pounds with you. <laughs> stuff. Um, so 
yeah, we were just laughing of the difference of what it was. So no, actually, um, I've had the T7 now since it came out. I was one of the first people in the U.S. to actually get a T7. Yamaha was uh, a very good supporter of mine, so I got it before anybody else. And um, no, I've been driving this thing with so much weight uh, all around the country, on road, off road. Uh, I have that video coming out in about two weeks uh, about my adventures in the last two months in the U.S. with this bike. And no, I banged this bike. I flew it through the air. I did some crazy stuff you shouldn't be doing with it. But um, no, never an issue with the suspension. It actually is an incredibly great balanced bike um, that was able to handle my gear at a few drops. And it's still running like it's brand new. We need to get you hooked up with Olin's and Adriani, man. And throw some four cartridges in that bike and spring it for you and all of your gear, dude. I mean, I'm not, I'm not kidding, yeah. man. My, ti my tiger is, is, was that way when I was off road in death Valley. And I was like, this is, this is, this is a strange bike and dangerous. Cause I had all my gear and same, similar to you. Like I have a lot of camera gear that I take with me and eventually I did that upgrade and it handles like a gem now. Um, oh, I agree. I, if I, if I, if I, uh, here's the problem, Sam, if I was to spend, money on upgrades uh, all the time I, I would be broke because the way my life works for the last uh, seven years doing this professionally driving around the world creating content working with brands uh basically just living my life and having epic uh, epic adventures and, and unique experiences um what i do is i fly to south america i find somebody who's selling a motorcycle i get it i use it i basically abuse it and then i sell it again or um you know it just gets lost i don't know so and then sometimes i just rent motorcycles so i don't have the luxury of upgrading things so when i look at a bike that i'm going to take on a trip or so if i'm going to do a trip from home and i'm going to drive to mexico or if i'm going to drive to south america again sure i'll do upgrades to the vehicle but um I love the saying, any bike can be an adventure bike because I am the true uh, essence of what that is. And yes, it's better. Yes, it's more comfortable. But the way I look at machines is kind of like you use them for what the purpose is. And, you know, I try not to put too much money into them because that way I can fly to India, get a bike there for two months. I can fly out. I can fly to Europe. I can get a bike there. And yeah, doing all that work to upgrade it and putting all the money in kind of takes away from at least my experience in I'm just there for the adventure. If it breaks, it breaks. If it handles it well, it handles it well. If I need to jump this bike, I'll take all the gear off and I'll jump the bike and I'll put all the gear on again. It'll take a few hours. But um, I'm always a, a true believer on, you know, you don't have to have the most incredible best gear uh, to really get an adventure started or or or, or do something that you want to in life. because I've noticed a lot of us are held back by by material possessions, by thinking we're not ready and by just waiting around saying one day I'll do it. So I always tell people instead of saying, oh, I got to have this, this car prepared for around for, for a trip. I got to I got to upgrade this and upgrade. It's like not really. I drove a stock KLR from Alaska to Argentina without a single upgrade and it survived and it made it. And I had some issues. Sure. Uh, but they were all very fixable, very uh, not so difficult issues to deal with. So it's a matter of just doing it rather than like thinking about getting it perfect. Well, that's the that's the maxim of a digital or I was going to say a digital nomad. That's the uh, that's the maxim of a motorcyclist nomad is run what you brung, go mm -hmm. and do it. Well, that's interesting, too, because you don't you know, like I have my adventure bike, right? I, like I'm not going to go out and get another one. I'm not going to sell it. I mean, if I decided to travel and everything, but that's. I don't think that's where I'm at, but what's the, um, what's the best, what's the best bike? <laughs> what's the best bike you've traveled on? What's the worst bike you've traveled on? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Let's see here. Uh, it's a really hard, it just because 
here's the thing. I took a street bike, a Bajaj Pulsar 200, and it was the only bike they had in Nepal for rent. And, you know, for, for, ten, for seven, 10 bucks a day, you can't go wrong with it, right? But I wanted to do the off-roads and go through the villages and not go on the road. So I had these street tires and I went through the, 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 the muddiest clay pit you've ever seen in your life. And these roads, it was the semi-wet season there. And it was just, I was crossing rivers with this thing. I was crossing bridges. I was literally dragging and pushing this bike uh, for two weeks across the, the rural villages and mountains of Nepal. That one was pretty bad. The bike's great on the road, but it, oh my God, just um, <laughs> anywhere that's not asphalt was just atrocious. So that bike probably, um, I don't want to say it's the worst bike in the world, but that was the most difficult situation I put a bike like that in. Um, the other one was probably uh, driving a, a C90 Honda scooter uh, across Morocco. Uh, that was very challenging in itself because it didn't have a lot of power, but again, it was the only thing available for a week. Um, and then I think one of the, you know, the more, the coolest, best bikes I've had on adventures, believe it or not, the Harley Livewire comes to mind um, because I was one of the first people to ever drive the light. I actually drove the quarter of a million dollar prototype that came out probably back in 2014 was when they were doing this, um, this big promotional event. They had some prototype live wires on there and they Harley invited me out to produce some content with the bike. And um, that was one of the coolest bikes I've ever driven. Because it was like a, it was the most expensive bike ever. It was a quarter million dollar prototype, and they just said, "Here, have it, have fun, and go around." I'm like, "This is ridiculous." So that bike in itself, to me, is one of the coolest experiences I've had with a bike, uh, just because I was, you know, one of the first ones to do something with it and uh, experience it, and 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 now now they're doing it. You know, it's a production model now, which is really cool. Um, so I think that one along the T7, I'm really happy with, but the KLR, um, you know, will always be in my heart because I've. I've driven the KLR more miles than I think I'll drive any bike ever, uh, to be honest. You know, that thing took me from Alaska to Argentina and back. And, um, you know, it's a it's a the, the Swiss Army knife, right? It's a heavy workhorse, but it gets the job done. That bike can be uh, bailed to, or can be fixed by bailing together spit and duct tape and bubble gum if you need to. It is the it is the workhorse of of the motorcycle world. It's good that they yeah. brought it back. I got one last question before we're going to get into a rapid fire uh, game show that we do um, that I think is important for a lot of new riders or even some experienced riders if they're getting into adventure. When planning a trip, how many miles a day have you found is usually like the sweet spot for your planning if you're doing a multi-stage trip um, so that you know you can enjoy like regions and culture and everything but also get some good riding in? Again, an impossible question to answer. Let me give you an example. <laughs> In the U.S., <laughs> North America, and Mexico, sure, you can go up between 200 and 600 miles per day comfortably. Uh, when you get to India, you're lucky if you get 100 miles per day. Uh, so it just really depends on the whole thing. For instance, like if you do the U.S. and stuff, I don't know. I like to basically uh, think of the following. Like um, It's like a job. I say, good, I'm going to work and do what I need to do for about you know, four to six or seven hours a day. Then I'm going to have the other portion of the day to eat, relax, and not go crazy. Other portion to do video editing and the other portion to enjoy the place where I'm at and meet the people. So I like to divide my day and, you know, I just get up at a certain time. I drive and do as much as I can. I get my objectives and challenges done. And then whatever time's left over, um, either keep driving or just enjoy with the people. So it's kind of difficult to know um, uh, what to do in every country. It just depends. It's very country and location dependent. So we'll say uh, base it more on time, less on mileage. That is that is correct, thing. especially if uh, you've ever driven India or Asia, you realize that your 600 mile day uh, here in the U.S. is not going to be that in those places. Right. All right. So we're going to move on to our rapid fire this or that game. Um, 
the the rules are pretty simple, Alex. I'm going to ask you a question where you have one option or another option, and you got to pick one over the other. Um, some of them will be a little bit fun. Some of them will be a little bit, maybe a little strange. Who knows? Uh, but the fate of your reputation as a writer kind of hinges on this. So mm. you will be judged heavily by our listeners. Um, not so much by me, but <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so let's jump into it. There's 11 questions on this, uh, on this, on this questionnaire. So we're going to go right into it. So you're on a trip on a bike. Do you choose or opt for external fuel cans? Or a big old adventure tank on the bike, like a big extra, extra, extra capacity fuel tank. I, I would probably go with the the extra, uh, the extra ca uh, containers because there's only been two places in the world that I've needed to carry extra fuel, and I know I probably just would throw those away. <laughs> All right, uh, tank bag or a riding vest slash backpack. Oh, definitely a tank bag. Uh, what I've realized is that when you drive long distance, the last thing you want to do is something holding and hugging you the entire day. It's very uncomfortable. Would you choose soft bags or hard locking panniers? I would most likely choose hard locking panniers. I hardly ever use soft luggage because my camera gear is my life and I can secure, leave that on the road. Uh, the soft luggage, you drop that thing and cameras get busted. Yep. Uh, protein bars or solid food? Definitely solid food. Uh, I will say that every time I travel, I do carry about 60 protein bars on me at a given time because uh, good sources of food are not always easy to come by. All right. Uh, so you're running your helmet. Do you do goggles only with no visor or would you opt for a helmet with a clear shield and sunglasses? Always helmet uh, with a clear shield and sunglasses for sure. Why? Just curious. Uh, well, because they're more aerodynamic. So when I usually go high speeds a lot of the time. So the portion of the time I go off-road and, and where the goggles and the motocross helmet would be more useful is like 20% of the time. It's the same thing with rain gear. Like, do I take a full Gore-Tex suit that's super hot when I'm only going to be in rain 20% of the time? Or do I get a more lighter one that, and I just take a, a plastic poncho or I take a, you know, a rain suit. I'd rather do the rain suit and be comfortable 80% of the time than be uncomfortable 20. Okay. Uh, which do you enjoy or opt for first? Like, Ver, uh, remote motorcycle camping or a nice hotel? Ah, uh, this is a difficult one. It's an, I, I, it's both. It really depends on the situation. If I've been driving the Patagonia in Argentina for about three weeks and I've been camping every single day, of course I'm going to choose a nice hotel. If I've been only in Europe and doing kind of comfortable things around the area, I would love to go rugged camping. This is the one that everyone seems to have an issue with. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's okay. It's I know. I like like four 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 days out of five, I'll choose camping. But that fifth day, I need I need the hotel to refresh. Oh yeah. What's what's better, night riding or day riding? Day riding for sure, because it's I I tell people there's three things you should never do when you travel around the world on a motorcycle. And number one is do not drive at night because it's so dangerous. I've had donkeys cross my road. I've had I've had jaguars cross me in the middle of the night. I've had I've even had sea turtles cross the road on this off-road in Nicaragua I was on. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, don't drive at night. You just don't want to. It's so silly. It's so risky. So you have to choose one. You have to ride in a monsoon for six hours or do an iron butt challenge. Oh, iron butt challenge for sure. I think rain is like my kryptonite. I hate it because I always wear, uh, I always have rain suits. So I got to put that on and it's very humid and very uncomfortable, especially in the jungles of Costa Rica. Not fun. 
Best riding experience today, Europe or Asia? Asia. Easy. All right. Wow. Uh, best riding experience to date in the United States, East Coast or West Coast? West Coast for sure, 100%. All right. I judge you fairly, sir, because I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All my East Coast friends are going to yell at me. Uh, uh, spot four, uh, emergency beacon or Garmin inReach Mini? Uh, let's see. Neither. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be located anywhere I go. I don't want to tell anybody where I am. Just watch my YouTube. Like, I'm here this week. It just That's the reason you go out traveling, right? Is to separate and disconnect from technology. But if I had to choose one, I would go with a spot because, uh, you know, that way I can just choose to press whenever I want if there's a huge emergency. But I've realized that people locally will be able to help you and get to a hospital quicker than your spot GPS evacuation will. Tubeless tires or uh, tube tires? Uh, it just depends on the bike, really. Um, hard to say. Uh, I've had tubeless most of most most bikes. It's a pain in the ass to change the tire when it does go flat. Uh, I I don't know. It just depends on the bike, really. You get what you get. <laughs> Commu communication system in your helmet or absolute silence? Both. If you're always with absolute silence, that's crazy and if you're always with music or with communications that's crazy too so i like the i like this some days i do it some things i don't last but not least earplugs or no earplugs oh definitely earplugs for me uh if you if you ride on the weekends you're fine if you do this five days a week seven days a week yeah your hearing's gonna start to go real fast even i have the best helmet on the market for noise and uh even then uh, after 10 hours riding for a week it's just like you start hearing this weird buzzing and yeah, earplugs all the time for me. You might be the first person on this show that has finally agreed with me on earplugs. Oh. And here's the thing. <laughs> uh, I did a test in my helmet and I put a little uh, decibel device and I, I would go different speeds, different bikes, different things. And I'm going like, this is okay, moderate. But if I start doing this consistently, it's really, it's not going to be good for me. And it's the truth. It's, it'll make you go death over a long period of time. Yeah, and that's the problem is that it's it's overtime and it's doesn't you can't fix it. And you know, what's the science? The science of it's something like uh, if you're if it's over 85 decibels for more than a sustained 10 minutes, that's when you start to actually do damage. And there's really no motorcycle helmet on the market that can no. insulate there's, to that point. There's not a single I've had the cheapest helmets and the most expensive helmets. And it's the same when you wear earplugs, to be honest. It's a little different on the expensive ones. Uh, but I'll tell you the following. My best combination is earplugs with the Bluetooth communication system with the speakers blaring. <laughs> yeah, because it's just drowned it out. <laughs> it's good. You drown it out, but it's, it's got a nice tone to it, you know? It's kind of like oh. it's not too loud, and it's just comfortable enough, and you can still hear it, but you're not permanently damaging your eardrums. A buddy of mine actually told me a good uh, – the way that he would do it, he had these the Bose in-ear noise cancellation headphones oh, that he that said too. work incredibly well. Yeah. Um, but no, none of the none of the comm systems on the market yet have noise canceling. I don't think so. Right, that's correct. Yeah, so yeah, so if you have a additional, um, you know, third party uh, earphones with no, Bose, uh, Bose does really well with aviation. So yeah, their noise canceling is excellent. All right, that does it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Alex. Uh, where are you off? Where, where where are you off to next? Uh, well, off to next, I am off to the incredibly exotic world of my laptop computer to edit all my videos that I have been filming for the last four months. 
So you're you're gonna be in El you're gonna be in El Paso for a El Paso, bit. Texas is my hometown. This is where my family's from. This is where I'm from. This is where I left a few years ago, never came back to. Um, but I come visit all the time. And yeah, I am editing uh, the adventures for everybody else to enjoy on my socials and my YouTube channel and everything. So if anybody was interested in seeing the type of stuff I do, I, I suggest that they come on by to my YouTube, search Alex Chacon uh, or the Modern Motorcycle Diaries, and you'll see a combination of motorcycle content and just regular travel content, which is uh, always fun. And if you're listening uh, and you're maybe listening to this on continuetheride.com, we're going to have all of Alex's information and where you can find him and where you can follow him right down on our episode page. So check that out. Uh, all right, this does it for this episode of The Reserve Tank presented by Progressive, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, the Progressive IMS Outdoor Series is coming to you this summer. It's going to be an entirely new setup. Uh, we're saying goodbye to the convention centers. We're going outside. It's going to be much more of like a festival atmosphere. Tons of attractions, a lot of vendors, a lot of stuff where you can buy and shop for your motorcycle needs and wants, and also look at all the new model motorcycles. Most importantly, every city we're going to is going to be having demo rides, something that only Los Angeles has kind of really enjoyed. Now we're taking it to the rest of everyone, and it's going to be in the spring, summer, and fall. Go to MotorcycleShows.com for our schedule we're going to be announcing the actual venues relatively soon but you'll know the cities that we're going to and you can easily make a road trip to there and hang out again we're gonna have camping and rv stays so plan for an entire weekend of motorcycling fun uh we've also added texas to our list we're coming to fort worth check that out so until next time everybody remember ride smart ride safe and we'll see you out there on the road <laughs>